It's the Lord. Amen. You can use the, the worship, brother, so that I can be able to talk to these people. Well, I'm blessed people. I know it's your lunch hour session. And uh, it serves us with yet another privilege to come to you at this time. And uh, yesterday the church has opened. It was such a tremendous moment, a big wonder in the land, the whole of this land of Kenya. You know, as you are aware, we have not opened. We have not opened all this time. We've not opened until yesterday. Even finally, uh, we opened yesterday. It was such an exhilarating time, a very, very powerful time in the house of the Lord. Because uh, for the first time now, the cripples that were healed during the lockdown walked with people into the church. It's a shocking moment also, a dreadful moment. In some places like Transmara, I heard uh, my own son, uh, Senior Bishop Davis, saying that uh, when Shadrach Oibo was in the most deplorable, the most difficult state of crippledness for many years, I think 10 years or so, or nine, and uh, finally got up. So when they saw him walk into the church compound alone himself, I am told the church wept very bitterly. They, they cried. They literally cried out to the Lord in big shock. And that's why uh, this is such a very tremendous time in the history of the church. It's a very shocking hour. It's a great time in the house of the Lord. And I know you are having your lunch hour sessions. I just want to interrupt your lunch hour a little bit with a little bit of lunch hour bread to help you wherever you are, blessed people. And uh, right now, I want to look at a scripture here that will help you. But again, it was such an awesome time yesterday to see the churches open. And I know that next week we begin the Council of Bishops meetings. The meetings will take place at head office here uh, from next week, beginning with all the deputy senior archbishops and uh, the administrative structures that were set up, reports on how the opening has gone. We wanted to wait up for a month, but we say probably it's better to make sure that we have our fingers on this because the judgment is death. You see what has happened in the U.S., happening in South Africa, also in the U.K., but uh, tonight I want to go through uh, some very important scripture to help you at lunch hour. I know probably you've come out of the office. You are eating your french fries somewhere in the garden, somewhere. These are days of masks with your mask probably pulled to your chin. And also probably maybe walking to a place to grab something or just sitting in the office and tuned in wherever you are, in a restaurant probably also. The whole of the Nakuru area, Kakamega, Kisi, Kehancha, Kisumu, Mombasa, wherever you are. Maybe you're just a house help in the house and you've tuned in, you're a member of this church. But this has been a very, very powerful time of revival. 37 strong creepers walked into the house. I was looking at the video of, uh, of uh, Blessings Wangoi as she was being dressed and then now a normal child, now being dressed by the 
Oibo and the rest of uh, Rebecca. They stormed the streets yesterday. It's a very historic time, and yet the number of people that have come to the church, that have joined the church, new people, is more than 5,100 by this morning. I don't know what number we have at this hour. Probably we are moving towards maybe 6,000. A lot of people came who have been here before, who only saw the broadcast. So the broadcasts have been, uh, our global broadcasts, our global services have been very effective in reaching far and wide and essentially normalizing, calibrating the whole earth to the same message, the same announcement from the same voice. And that has really helped. But tonight, because uh, today, because of time, I want to share a little bit of lunch of bread with you. Uh, this is the book of Ma- the book of John chapter five. John chapter five. We are reading verses thirty nine and forty. Says, "You study the scripture again. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have." eternal life. So I, I want to engage you a little bit on this, where you are, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, or you're a teacher now in the staff room, or a student. Universities are open, probably all students are on. I've seen, I received emails from the Kenyatta National Hospital students from there. And so, wherever you are, I want to engage you a little bit tonight, this lunch hour, we don't have much time, but on this very, very pivotal scripture here, again, the book of John chapter 5, I'm reading 39, 40. It says 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So why do I read this controversy here for you? Because in chapter 5, if you begin verse 1, if you have your time, you see that Jesus goes to a pool. He says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem, near the sheep's gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And he says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the cripples, the lame, the paralytic, one who was there, there was one who was there, he had been invalid, he had been crippled for 38 years. You can imagine that. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Verse 7 says, sir, the cripple replied, the invalid person replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. The water used to be stirred by an angel. And when the water is stirred, whoever gets in first is healed. So I have no one to help me when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk away. He said, get up, pick up up your mat and walk. And you know, this was on Shabbat. Hmm? And so, that was the instruction of the Lord. Verse 9, he says that once the man was cured, he was healed, he picked up his mat and walked away. The day on which this took place, 
was on Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders say to the men who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well, who healed me, said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? You know, they know him, that he has been there for 38 years. But look at the legalism, how now they cannot appreciate that it's a wonder. This man is up and walking. And yesterday there were many cripples that walked in this land. You were shocked to see them walking. You had seen them brought to the church in the most deplorable states and form, lying on the mats, mattresses in the church. Every service they are brought, they are placed to lie there. They soil themselves there, relieve themselves there. But uh, it was very shocking yesterday when 37 cripples walked in, and the miracles are 42, because there are two blind eyes that also opened that walked into the church. There are two lunatics that were healed. There's, there are two deafs, and there's one dumb. So, so it's, it's a lot that happened. It's a wonder that took place yesterday. But in this particular case, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So he asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up? To pick it up and walk. Verse 13 of John chapter 5, he says, the man he was healed, he says, the man who was healed had no idea of who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So when he did that miracle, he performed it, he slipped away. He entered the crowd right away. So people could not trust him. This man could not trust him. So he slipped into the, the, the crowd and walked away. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So then the authorities begin the fight with Jesus now. They begin to question his authority. So because Jesus was doing these things on Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. To persecute him, that is what the scriptures say. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So Jesus now finds himself, our Lord Jesus, finds himself in such a contestation with them. And I'm using this because we are right now going through the message of the final judgment of God. We are handling the end time events in our regular global services here, in our biweekly services we are handling, I mean, the weekly services global. We are handling now the judgment of God, the final judgment, that you may understand. When we enter now the message of the rapture, you may understand the treasure with which you should grasp the rapture and prepare. Very well that you may not find yourself standing before the great white throne judgment of God that is in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 and 15. 11 to 15. But I'm advancing that conversation using this scripture here. Because this scripture talks about judgment also. So Jesus is exuding his authority over them. And then they question his authority. And that's why in verse 39 eventually, with that backdrop I've given you now, he has healed a man on the Sabbath, and they are contesting him, persecuting him. Then he responds. In verse 39 of John 5, he says, 
You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So that's such a profound statement. The Lord was essentially claiming authority, authority to give life. He was essentially claiming authority to give life. And the Pharisees, as far as they were concerned, only God had that prerogative. But Jesus was trying to introduce himself to them, introduce the fact to them that he has a deity. He is God the Son. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah that was promised. The one whose coming I have come to announce. The two prophets of Yahweh have come to announce. And so, because of their disposition, they missed the coming of the Messiah. And that's why this generation, too, needs to be very careful that if you have a notion, you have modeled, if you have modeled your Messiah to fit your natural or your earthly, worldly cause, they had modeled the Messiah in, in terms of a revelation for the state of Israel to form a kingdom at that time. And yet the Messiah comes for the greater kingdom of God. So they missed the coming of the Messiah. Same thing at this hour. That's why I'm engaging you on this scripture. It says, verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently and you think in them you will find eternal life. And then he says, but they refuse to come to him to give them life. So the question they asked, who is this that is claiming to have eternal? So the Pharisees, as you can see, they accused him for healing on Sabbath. Because Jesus healed a man that was 38 years crippled. And when Jesus responds, what does he tell them? He speaks to them in tremendous terms. He states his authority to them. His authority to give life. His authority to life. And yet they knew that that is the prerogative of God. And he talks to them about his authority to judge. And today I will ask this generation some very serious questions on that. Based, strictly based on that. Authority to give life. Authority to judge. We are talking about judgment. That's why I want to engage you on this. And in so doing, again, the Lord Jesus makes them aware that he is already exercising that authority on the earth here during his side, John, when he came, during his earthly ministry. He's, all, he's telling them he's already implementing, he's already executing that authority. Well, that was very shocking to them. And he said eventually, that he meant essentially that those who are spiritually dead, those who are spiritually dead, he gives life to them. I introduce you to another scripture now. Then we'll bring it all together. The book of John chapter 9 now, the same 39, we're going to 39 and 40. John chapter 9. Turn with me there, blessed people. John chapter 9. The book of John chapter 9. Once you are there, read 39, 40. And he says the following. He says, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will be blind, will become blind. In other words, to give sight to those who, 
will accept their blindness. And those who claim the haughty ones, the proud, then they will become blind. So the Pharisees were there and they contested him on that. You mean we are also blind? And so I want to engage you on these two scriptures that we may look at the human condition today and how you need to prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah. And so, in this particular case here, he says, he has come, and to those who will be humble, he says, first of all, he has come for judgment. Some of you may think there's a contradiction there. Because if you read back in the book of John, in the book of John chapter 3, 17, he says he has not come to judge. I will explain to you that. John 3, 17, 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Then he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So that is the context under which the Lord talks about the judgment he has brought. That is the context under which he was now judging. Because he says that he has come for those who are spiritually dead, he says. He will give life. Those who are weak, those who will hear his voice, believe in him, and then once they believe in him, trust in him, then he says, they will escape judgment. How? They will receive life. That's all he was talking about here. That he has brought life, he has brought salvation to a generation, to a people, to humanity that is spiritually dead. And we know very well that at the fall of Adam, mankind, mankind spiritually died. We all died. When Adam and Eve fell to sin, we all died. But here it's amazing, because he is telling them here that he has come, and he has come in such a way as to life, to give life to them. Verse 39 of John chapter 5, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. And then he says, those scriptures, those very scriptures testify about him. And yet you refuse to come to him. You refuse to come to me to have life. So he claimed authority to give life. And that was a serious thing. That, that is a serious thing to death. It is. And so, he was essentially saying that those that will hear his voice, and who respond, believe in him, trust him. They will escape judgment. Why? Because he says that they will emerge from their spiritual death. They will emerge from spiritual death. They will literally emerge from spiritual tombs. And we know from Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, if you turn with me there, what happens when Adam now and Eve, they fall? Genesis chapter 2. Turn with me there, blessed people. If you can, if you cannot, it's all right. I'll read it for you. Genesis chapter 2, 
And I know that this coming Wednesday there is a massive healing and the Lord will decree from here healing the blood of Jesus. And a lot of people who get up and walk, blind who see, cancers, we've seen a lot of cancers, diabetes, hypertension. So the, the first part of the service will be a decree of healing and then the Lord will have as many people. So the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says the following, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So that is the spiritual death he's talking about. You will certainly die. And if you go to John chapter 5, John 5, 24, the book of John chapter 5, the spiritual death, that Jesus has come to vanquish, to destroy that you may live, and not only just live, but also live eternally. There is eternity ahead of us here. John 5, 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. So he was say, telling them, saying to them, that when you believe, you believe in him, hear his words, Receive him, trust him, surrender your life to him. Then you now receive life. He gives you life. That is what Jesus was talking about. And if you read the book of Ephesians, Romans, we begin Romans chapter 7. The book of Romans chapter 7 verse 9, he says the following about the spiritual death. He says, Romans 7, 9, Once I was alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang life, and I died. That is the spiritual death Jesus came to take away from humanity. And if you get time, you can also read Ephesians chapter 2. But he's essentially saying that he came to give life, and that really disturbed the Pharisees quite a bit, because they knew that that is the prerogative of God alone, to give life. So here was Jesus now giving a claim, placing a claim that he is God, that whoever believes in him, whoever hears his voice, believes in him, trusts in him, he says, he will emerge from their spiritual tombs, spiritual graves, and they will escape the final judgment. And yet, he says, that emerging from your spiritual grave to this present generation is very relevant to you because it's an extension. It is extrapolated all throughout until the book of First Corinthians chapter 15 when the day will come, the day of rapture, when everybody now that has believed Christ, everybody that ever died essentially, will emerge from their tombs at rapture. Those who have believed Christ and become holy, and walk the holy life, deliberately chosen a righteous life, repentant living, choosing a lifestyle of separation from the moral decay of this world, that a day of rapture is coming, when they will also now emerge, this emerging from spiritual tombs that Jesus brought, giving of life to those spiritually dead, he says he will extend it until the day of rapture, when the dead will now emerge from physical tombs, and be given glorious bodies that they may ascend into the glorious kingdom of God. What a tremendous message the Lord brought to 
to a dying humanity, spiritually dead. And he's saying that for those that will believe and accept Jesus and walk in holiness, they will then now, they are able, on that day they die before the rapture, to resurrect, get glorious eternal bodies, and enter the kingdom of heaven. But those that refuse with you, those of you who are tuned in, all of you tuned in, with all of you tuned in, those that refuse to listen, when they resurrect from those tombs, they go into condemnation. That's what he was talking about here. And that's why if you go to the book of First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, he says the following, First Corinthians 15, you could read on and on, but verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the glorious kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now look at verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet who sounded the dead will be raised imperishable, and then we'll all be changed. That is the resurrection he's talking about. When the dead will be raised imperishable. And so, when he was engaging the Pharisees, and this has so much to do with you tuned in in your offices or in that garden eating, eating french fries, taking a lunch break, those of you tuned in, even those in different time zones, it has so much to do with this generation. That those that will humble and believe and hear his voice and trust in him, he will give them life and they will emerge from their spiritual tombs. And they will escape the final day of judgment that I am teaching right now. The one you see in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15. And so this claim, how does Jesus go about this claim before the Pharisees to be able to underscore, to be able to underscore his point? So he reveals to them that he has the prerogative to life, the authority of God himself. And he says he has also the authority to judge them because he says whoever does not believe stands condemned and is already exercising that authority to life and to judge. And yet the Pharisees, they know that only God has the prerogative to life and prerogative to judge. So it was such a conflict. That's why the Bible says, and they began to persecute him. So since the fall of mankind, we all became spiritually dead. Even in your office, where you are listening from, or abroad, many nations, wherever you are in those gardens, having your french fries with chicken, whatever it is, your break, your lunch break, or just sitting there with friends. He's saying that all men are spiritually dead except that Jesus redeemed them. That if mankind does not come to Christ Jesus, he says, they are dead. They will be judged. If a man does not go to Christ to take life and become alive, they will be condemned in the final day. And that's why you see in John chapter 5, the same John 5 we read, verse 31, 
Look at what he says there, verse 31. He says, verse 30, he says, By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. So he's telling them that he is already judging. Hallelujah. My judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Verse 31, he says, If I testify, testify about myself, the testimony is not true. But that is true, because that was the setting. He knew their mindset, that in the Hebrew context, if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, in the Hebrew context, you cannot testify on yourself, lest you are called a liar. So Jesus lays out, let us see Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, why he tells them that way. He's aware that they are aware that you cannot testify on your own behalf. That's why now he wants to draw in the Father. And I'll bring you to a place where the Father, even by voice, there's a point by voice at baptism, by voice at transfiguration, also by voice right before he left. In the book of John 12, he speaks, he testifies, this is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Transfiguration, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Meaning the words of Jesus will judge us if you don't listen to them. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, it says the following. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. It says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. So he knew that you cannot testify on your own behalf. And that's why he approached them in John chapter 5, knowing their mindset, to let them understand that he has the deity of God. He is God. This is the Messiah who has come. This generation needs to identify him also. They need to know that this is the Messiah. And so, in the book of John chapter 5, verse 33, listen to what he says. He says, You have sent to John, and he has testified, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Meaning, John has testified on his behalf. John the Baptist has testified on his behalf. Verse 36, he says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I'm doing, they testify that the Father has sent me to you. He's now talking about the miracles and the signs of and the wonders he did. These miracles you saw yesterday in your churches. They were meant to testify for Christ Jesus, the Messiah. They are meant to testify for the prophets of the Lord that are preparing for the coming of the Messiah. Testifying to this generation that Christ Jesus, the Lord alone, is the Savior of the world. We need to give our lives to Him and repent and turn away from sin and walk in holiness and live a separated Christian life. Those 37 cripples that you saw walking, the Lord says there are three ways in which he tests, his testimony is established. 
He says, John the Baptist testified on his, on, the, on his behalf, and then the miracles, the work he's doing, the work the Father sent him, testify on his behalf. The miracles and wonders. And verse 39, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Then he says, even the Bible, the word, the scriptures they are reading, testify about him. John the Baptist testifies about him. There is no way they could miss him. There is no way this generation can miss him. Whether you are Muslim, you can be born again today, or Hindu, or an atheist. Because John the Baptist testified about him. And he says, the miracles and wonders that he's doing right now using the two prophets, they are testifying about him. Then he goes on to say that the scriptures to the biblical scriptures testify about him. So Jesus uses these three ways to answer the Pharisees who are persecuting him. They are persecuting him for claiming to be equal to God. But we know that he is God. Because he said he can give life and he can judge. So he uses those three means of testimony to be able now to testify before them, to argue with them. Hallelujah. And so the Lord is saying the following, that in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 12, or oh, 1 on, there is a testimony there of his mission that he would come to redeem man. If you look at the book of John again, John chapter 3, verse 17, it says the following. For God did not send me into, again, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came on a salvation mission, on a mission to bring the grace, to bring salvation, to bring redemption, to bring forgiveness. To bring sacrifice, perfect sacrifice. But when he comes back a second time, he is not coming back to do that. He is coming back as a judge for the rebellion. That is what this generation needs to understand. And when you look at John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, verse 47, look at what he says. If anyone hears my words, but does not keep them. I do not judge that person. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So the way he places the judgment is very tricky. He uses that, but you, when you read just one verse later, verse 47, he says, there is a judge. My own word will judge you. I have not come to judge, but for, for those who believe, they will not be judged, in other words. I bring the grace in verse 47 of John chapter 12, verse 48, I bring justice, the judgment of God. God judges sin. And the reason he's forced to judge, because he's coming, is for the purpose of securing salvation, securing the grace, securing forgiveness, securing redemption from the fall, and all that requires judgment against sin. That's why he paid for with his life the atonement, propitiation, paying of penalty on your behalf. You that is sitting out there in a lunch break. 
the atonement for sin, propitiation for sin, the appeasing of God's anger, paying of penalty, the wages of sin is death. So whether he came on a mission of grace, however, for those that don't receive the grace, the mercy, the compassion, the love, the forgiveness, then he says, you can't judge. And he says, my own words will judge you. So he introduces them to this concept of judgment. If you look at John chapter 9, 39, 40 that we read, I know I'm juggling between scriptures at lunch hour. Don't worry. I will make you understand everything very well. John 9, 39, we just read it. 39, 40. And he says, 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who, who see, who claim to see, become blind. Again, if you look at the context under which I read John chapter 9, verses 39 and 40, is a similar paradigm, similar context under which I read John chapter 5, 39 40. Because here too, Jesus has healed a blind man. And the Pharisees are trying to persecute him for that. And so, he turns to them and he says, there is judgment coming for those who don't want to believe. He uses now the blind man. And he says, those who humble themselves, humble enough to admit their in, in, in inadequacy, their inability, their personal incapability. Those who become humble enough to realize that they need him, Jesus, that, and trust in him, Jesus, and believe him, Jesus, and depend on him, Jesus. He says, to them you give spiritual sight. That's what he's saying here in verse 39 of John chapter 9. He's now using the healing of the blind man to, uh, to answer them for their persecution. That those who are humble enough to admit their inability, to admit their weakness, humble enough with humility to see their need, that they need the Christ, that they need a Savior, to trust in Him, to need Him, trust in Him, believe Him, depend on Him. Then you give them spiritual sight, that's what he's saying. But he says, for the arrogant who presume to know all things, he will harden their hearts. That's what he's saying here. He's saying again, verse 39 of John chapter 9, Jesus said, for judgment I have come to this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see become blind. We met this very concept again. He says, for those who are haughty, those who claim to be learned, claim to have understanding, claim to be wise, he will now give them blindness. You make them become blind. You harden their hearts. And you see it very clearly in the book of Isaiah 6. Make these people's hearts hard, colors. If you read 6 and 9, make them blind. Isaiah chapter 6. You see the same thing, blessed people. For those who claim to know, who don't admit their weakness. Those who stand and contest him and claim to know. And he says, Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. He says, say to these people, he says, go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever 
feeling, but never perceiving. Make their heart, the hearts of these people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and be healed. That is what Jesus is saying to this generation tuned in. He's asking, are you humble enough to see your inadequacy? Look at the coronavirus, how it has humbled the whole world. It has humbled everybody, the developed world, the poor world. The prophecy I gave of the coronavirus, look at how it has humbled humanity with all their technology and their wealth and their haughtiness and their pride and their education and their peace and advancements in medicine. So he's asking, are you able to humble yourself enough to see that you need him and to believe in him and depend on him and trust him and receive him in your life that he may give you sight, that you may see the glory, you may see the coming kingdom and never be in the judgment that's coming. Or you are going to continue your postmodernism and haughtiness and claim that you don't trust in the Lord, you don't see the need to trust, you're educated, there's no need for God, you're self-sufficient. Which is going to be yours tonight? Because he says, for those who will humble themselves enough and admit their personal weakness, personal inability, incapabilities, to admit that they need him, and to take him and trust in him, and believe him, and depend on him, he says, to them he will give sight and life. And that sight becomes their life eternal. They will see the coming kingdom of God. They will see the cripples that walked yesterday, 37 walk to church. They will see the blind, thousands of blind that the Lord has used me to raise in this land to establish to you the, the, the image of this Christ. To establish to you the authority of this Christ that is coming. The Messiah that is coming. His power. His sovereignty. His victory. His glory. Ever since we came into the Bible landscape, we have established to you that Christ is the only way to the kingdom of God. Through the cripples that have walked. Look at how Jesus testified. How he stood before the Pharisees. He said, John the Baptist testified on his behalf. The works he does, the miracles and wonders testify on his behalf. Then he said, plus the scriptures. Same thing with the prophets talking with you. So wherever you are, blessed people, in your lunch hour, even as I close this now, Will you then humble yourself and see that you may open your eyes, that you may not be blind, that you may not blind you, that you may not convert your heart into callousness, petrus, rocky, that instead you may soften your heart, give you a new heart, a heart that can be vulnerable to the gospel, that you may open your eyes and see the coming kingdom of God, that you may see the glory of God, that the cloud has come. So if that is you, repeat this prayer as I close this broadcast tonight. During this lunch hour, with this lunch hour bread. Say, mighty Lord Jesus, I humble before you and admit that in my mortal nature, I am totally incapable to deliver myself. And I ask you, my Lord Jesus, to come into my heart today and be my Lord and Savior and transform my life and open my eyes 
that I may see the glory of your coming kingdom. That I may never stand before the great, most dreadful white throne judgment of God, where the rebellious will be, where Satan will be judged. But instead, I may enter into the glorious kingdom of God in heaven. I've received you, my Lord Jesus, on this day, this beautiful day, as my Lord and my Savior. So in the mighty name of Jesus, today I am born again. Amen. If you say that prayer, blessed people, I wish you a wonderful afternoon wherever you are, and the different time zones too. You can now go back to your offices, tell people you are born again, our numbers are very clear. We have numbers. You can check them on the web. You can go to jesusislordradio.info or you can go to preparewaythe.org. Our numbers are everywhere. We are normally trending on Twitter throughout. So you will always get our contacts and then you are able to link up with us. Call us that you may be baptized. We have opened the churches. Yesterday was a day of wonder. This coming Wednesday, I will decree healing. There will be healing service, the first part of the message. But you now understand that Jesus brought us salvation, and for those that reject, there is judgment. Now that you've received him, you have evaded the final judgment. Keep walking in holiness, reject sin. The Lord bless you. This has been your lunchtime bread in the mighty name of Jesus. The Messiah is come. Prepare the way. Thank you.